Spaceburgers, and welcome to the Space Cave. A special warg to those of you in Houston and Hawaii. Uh, hope things pick up and get a little bit better, and hopefully uh, cramming this into your ears, or gently letting it saunter its way into your ears, will um, make things a little bit more pleasant, at least for the interim, or a short period. And this is a chat with one of my favorite comedic minds, someone that I saw years ago when I was in Austin when he was just kind of getting going, but he was already headlining. He was in his like early 20s, and friends of mine at the club were calling me like, hey, I know you're not working this week. You got to come down here and see this guy. He's only 23 and he's headlining, so we hate him, but he's also good, so come check it out. And uh, he really lived up to the hype, and one of those people that you see and you're like, well... We have to be friends because you're good at something that I care about and you do it in a way that is, um, I feel like a lot of people get into certain disciplines or artistic endeavors with no knowledge of what came before it. And I I think it's vi- uh, worthwhile to have kind of a, a music history if you're going to be a musician, even music theory. They teach that if you go to music school, but a lot of people just get in and start hammering around on things and go, I'm a musician and it's, it's just because they can sing or something like that, and they don't know any prior bands or music. And maybe there's some merit to that, because then you could stumble onto something that hasn't been done. But more than likely, you will do something that's repetitive and a little bit redundant. Anyway, I'm already talking more than need be said, because this guy, um, you just he really respects stand-up comedy, and I like the way his mind works just about all things in life. We get together here and there, and the conversations are always really enjoyable. And I, as much as I love talking to scientists as much as possible on this show, I do like talking to my uh, my comedy friends and artistic friends as much as possible too, especially when um, the conversations uh, aren't just specifically, say, about comedy or whatnot. So anyway, that's too much of an introduction, but if you haven't checked out any of his stuff online, please do. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. His album Touche is fantastic. Uh, you've probably seen him on a number of television programs. And I uh, hope you enjoy this chat, part one, with Ryan Stout. That noise that you just heard, that was definitely a beer. That wasn't uh, uh, an aluminum. Yeah, you're right. Well, that, I, I I started recording and realized like the sound's not there. So people are like, What's, what noise are you referencing? But an aluminum can opening, you just opened a sparkling water. Uh-huh. That Could've. noise you just heard. You're a liar, David Huntsberger. <laughs> I didn't There's hear no it. noise. You're taking in the uh, the kill shed back. I'm looking here. at the space. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've got you've got a nice little little loft area up there. Yeah, we're thinking about Airbnb and it out. Mm-hmm. Get someone, get a you know a drifter to come through. Sure. Well, they like cables. They like uh, yeah extension hard cement cords. floors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just sporadically placed bits of uh, recording. Sound foam. S- sound foam. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, we've really we've really done a number with the sound foam. <laughs> That one's held up by a pushpin. Yeah. I One to, single pushpin. And gravity and uh, some leverage. 
<laughs> there's enough friction happening that it just hangs to the wall. <laughs> Good. I've never been here, so I've been looking around your home, yeah. looking around this space. Yeah, we've both been in Los Angeles, I would guess. I don't know, eight or nine years, something like that. Uh, I've been here since '06. Oh, you've been here before, before me. I moved out in '08. So, uh-huh. Yeah. And yet, this is the first time. Have you lived here the whole time? No, uh, I lived in Venice, then Culver City, then Hancock Park. Now here, so I've just migrated easterly, easternly, east. I migrated east. I migrated. We east. went east. And I used to always think that. Uh, Really, the only reason to live in California, especially Los Angeles, be near the water. So when I was in Venice, I was like, this makes sense, but you're so far from everything. Then Culver City, like, okay, like, this is still pretty good. I could hit the river, run along the river, and I, or ride a it's bike. It's still water. It's still water. It yeah. counts. And I'd get right down to the coast pretty quickly and be like, okay, I'm still, and I'm close to the airport. These are all the things I guess you need. <laughs> it's something as- everybody wants to be close to the airport. <laughs> Well, you know, if you're a if you're comedian, a comedian and you have to travel, sure, you want yeah. to be close. But I think that's a horrendous place for most people. Culver City? Well, no, they just don't want to live near the airport. True. They don't want the noise. They don't want the traffic. They don't want any of it. Yeah, when I pretty culturally in- across the all cultures. <laughs> no one wants to be by the airport. Do you ever go to someone's house that lives near something where it's the first thing you know? Like they live next to that really high wall right next to a freeway, and you're like, oh, hey. How is this? Yeah. Always. They're like, yeah, that's not bad. You don't notice it after a while. Sure. You're like you play. I would notice it by. always. Yeah. It's the first thing I noticed and I just got here. Yeah. In San Francisco, there are certain buildings that like the highway wraps around it. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a big enough truck on the highway, mm-hmm. the building rattles a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. And I go, that's terrible Mm -hmm. and they go no it's not that bad and i go okay well you have a different threshold than i do you come into some towns and it says no jake breaks no air breaks for the truckers because that sound when they go Uh, okay they just they apply that because so every single truck coming into town if you're that person in that building or in the home there all day long i'm just (laughs) like yeah you get used to it it's fine Well, that's what people complained about when uh, Waze started getting so popular. Mm-hmm. They were like, we used to have this quiet neighborhood. Now it's just backed up traffic yeah. all day long because we're apparently on the route that Waze decided is the quick way, Yeah, which is no longer the quick way because everybody's on it. All these bits, because oh, I used to kind of pride myself. And, and I think when you talk about having existed prior to these navigation things, it makes you sound old. You're like, this was five or six years ago, really. Where, like yeah. on your smartphone, it was reliable. You could try it, but your service would be interrupted and or it just didn't load quickly enough. So it was like still going from kind of a map quest era. But I used to just try it, just chance it on some of the back roads. Of course. And I think this new phase opened that all up to where, yeah, all those people that live on the streets went, oh, damn it. Yeah. Well, I wonder if enough of us were chancing it on the back roads Mm -hmm. that Google was monitoring (laughs) our data and our location service. Yeah. And that it was like, oh, a lot of people are getting getting there quicker doing this. We should send everybody that way. (laughs) No, you dummies. (laughs) That's not how game theory works. You should. Yeah. Maybe in the the looking back 
In hindsight, we should have taken our batteries out of our phones to chance these side streets. <laughs> we're we're literally trying to go off the grid while staying on the grid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just giving We them just perfect. want to get there faster. Yeah. <laughs> look at this one. It would be like that if you were up at one of the satellites and just watching. Man, look at them. Like 99% just stay backed up, stuck in these two. Whoa, look at that one. It's breaking off. Who are these outliers? Yeah. Oh, really taking a chance. They don't even know where they're going. <laughs> Oh, but they got through somehow. Huh. When you go up and it says not a through street, that's that's a rough feeling. It's the it's probably the equivalent <laughs> of like <laughs> when you're trying to go faster and then you realize dead end. Yeah, and then you have to turn back around and go out to that really busy street. And now say you're trying to turn left on it. You're like, hey, I'm I live here. Yeah. You don't know me. You're too like sessions of traffic that have cleared the light and you, you didn't even see me duck in there i live here now please let me out mm-hmm. but if they all knew if traffic cohesively all knew like mind you if anyone sees that car try to enter again just know it tried to break away from the herd yeah. and outsmart us and they're paying the price so don't let them in don't let them in Boom. you don't know what their life is like you don't know what they're going through but <laughs> you know you know from your car that they tried to skirt the system you could just tell you could you just know <laughs> There's not a pregnant woman in that car whose water just broke. You don't know what they're going through. Nope. You just know they're cheaters. I I really am so judgmental for letting people into traffic. Really nice car. Don't even look over. You're not getting in. You're not getting in. Give a, like a human interaction, a hand. Oh, yeah. Get in there. My buddy Eric, he would let people in. And if they didn't wave, thank you. Oh, my God. He'd start blowing his horn, giving them the finger. <laughs> But isn't that the whole essence of doing like a selfless deed? It, uh, the person uh, is supposed to be sort of negligible as to how well they respond to it. It's just meant to be like, I'm doing this because I feel like I have the time. Sure. And and this person may appreciate it. So the moment they don't appreciate it, he goes, wasn't worth it at all. I regret everything. Yeah. Um, and then the person behind my friend, Eric, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> They're going, well, you let him in. Yeah. Why are you honking your horn now? <laughs> what is happening here? And Just by the way, I never I off. never allowed that. I never l- allowed that person to cut in line. Yeah, I mean, if I'm I'm picturing if I'm the person and maybe I did a subtle like chin thrust. Just a little, "Hey, thanks." I didn't get my hand up, which is not like me. I typically do like a, "Hey, thanks." And but if I get in there and now I look in my rearview mirror and the person behind me is just a chimp and they're just What are you doing? <laughs> I feel like it would it would almost be condescending for me to wave and go, thank you. Mm-hmm. Is this what you need, little guy? Yeah. Is it, now you better? Hi. I feel like maybe that would provoke him to be like even more anger. Is this person a close friend? Um, it used to be. Used to be a very close friend. We okay. used to talk uh, extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get older, people fall out of your life and eh, yeah. relationships happen. So- I probably could call him anytime I wanted. Just yeah. haven't spoken to him in a little while. Isn't, Lives in a different city. Oh, okay. I was yeah. going to say, it wouldn't shock me if he was still in LA. That, that to me seems like all of Los Angeles. Yeah. And never, by the way, never lived in LA. He's a he's an Austin, Texas guy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he, people come here with these preconceived kind of like people are jerks or traffic's terrible. So if I do it in Texas, boy, if you let someone in, they send you some roses. Uh-huh. You know, they have this whole thing, like some of the worst drivers. I hate the University of Texas football team, the Longhorns, strictly because of how many times I was cut off by someone with a Longhorn sticker uh-huh. on there. And I was like, well, I hate your team now. Sure. You're such a bad driver. I hate you so much. I 
I never lived in Austin, but I would perform there mm-hmm. and uh, had so many friends at UT that I ended up in possession of a Longhorns t-shirt. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess the frugality of my life, I was like, well, I'll wear this. <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah. And I've got jeans on. Let's throw a t-shirt on. Mm-hmm. Let's go outside. And the number of people in Los Angeles who would honk at me or scream out their window, hook them horns. <laughs> Or the number of people who would honk at me and then boo. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand what was happening at first. And I was like, oh, it's this t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, okay. People have gotten real tribal about uh, what t-shirt you wear. Yeah. So I'm not going to wear this anymore because I don't want anybody yelling at me. I want people to leave me alone. I, you know, the, Strangers anyway. <laughs> I don't want strangers. But here's here's the opposite side of that. A friend of mine, and this is such a bizarre one, in that he didn't have a specific team. He wears a jacket that just on the back says hockey. Just the overall concept of the sport of hockey. I've heard of hockey. Yeah. Yeah, I like hockey. I got to talk to that guy. So he's at a Weird Al concert, and an old guy that he had sat next to that was just so psyched, the whole concert. He's up dancing and pointing, good to do it, Weird Al. Yeah. Wait, you know, almost like a a caricature of some sort. People don't really do this, but he's just having the time of his life. My friend's in line afterward to try to like maybe get backstage or something. And that guy passes him and goes, does that jacket say hockey? My friend goes, yeah. They had this whole long conversation. That dude knew someone who was in the NHL, who my friend then knew of because he knows everything about hockey. Mm-hmm. They hit it off. Well, good. He's not lying with his jacket. No, he knows all the stuff. And the guy goes, what, what are you doing in this line? He goes, oh, we were hoping we could maybe meet him. He goes, I, he was like had formed and started the first record company that signed Weird Al and sort of broke his career. Wow. So he's like, ah, come on, come on in with me. And so that was one of the, because when I think of like people in the UK, wool, pea coats, mm-hmm. leather shoes, nothing identifying really as to like, what do you enjoy in life? I enjoy clothing, fine yeah. clothing and attire. Mm-hmm. And there, that I'm British. I don't enjoy anything. <laughs> that is we've never, mild-mannered. we've never enjoyed things because, uh, a war breaks out before you know it. <laughs> people then, the world over hate us. And then uh, your people are wiped out. <laughs> so you have to play it close to the vest. So I go back and forth. The wool vest. Yeah, play it close to mm-hmm. the wool vest. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't feel like I wear a lot of identifying clothing, but then sometimes I hear a story like that and I go, maybe I, maybe I should get out there and broadcast a little bit just who I am. Right. Well, it is that thing that the people that do it say, oh, this is how you make friends. You wear a Led Zeppelin t-shirt, then you run into other Zeppelin fans, and you strike up a conversation, then you have friends. Yeah. And I go, yeah, but you also have enemies. <laughs> and I don't want those. I think it was Howard Kramer. It was like, this person's wearing a Beatles shirt. Where's your shirt that also says, I enjoy breathing oxygen? <laughs> just like, who, are you, who are you impressing with a Beatles uh-huh. shirt? <laughs> Real original, guys. <laughs> Real good. Well, and I think part of that too is they started selling Beatles shirts at Target. Yeah, you know, it it, it used to be the thing that if you wanted a band's shirt, you'd have to buy it at the concert, or you'd have to, you know, they weren't selling them in the department stores. Right. Where did you get a cool band T-shirt? Mm-hmm. Well, I went to their tour. Yeah, and that's where I got the merchandise. Whereas now anybody can do it at any time they want from the internet. Hell, make your own. Just yeah. make one, have it sent to you, and you're done. Yeah, what like Shepherd Fairy? That used to be a cool thing. There's that. I think he talks about it either in the Exit to the Gift Shop uh, documentary or a different one where he's like he would make all these, you know, like Andre the Giant as a posse, the Obey. And yeah. it, I don't know if it was a sticker or just a patch or something. But the this kid wrote him was like, Hey, can I get a new one? I got one of the original ones from. 
89 or whenever he started doing this so long ago and the the print is kind of worn off and he was like ah, i went back and forth because they're supposed to be these things that aren't like mass produced mass manufactured but this person was so sincere and just wanted the thing that they had already bought so yeah that was kind of the beginning maybe of the commerce of that which was like people want them i guess i'll sell them from from a place where you would you didn't have to be at the show you didn't have to go to a specific like warehouse you know one of those hidden kind of things in the world like yeah oh, this is where i got that I people think- people got bankers in their minds going well how are you going to monetize what you're doing mm-hmm. sell the people what they want the you want to time- retire don't you <laughs> the first time someone knocks at your door i mean we did professor blastoff for years for free and then and we didn't really do many ads but then they put it behind a paywall and this guy the other day was like, "Hey, I don't know if you know, they put uh, on the they put a Google Drive link that has every free episode in one of the forum groups or something." And I was like, "That doesn't really bother me, but it does. I mean, you're trying to create things that have value in the world." Yeah. And so when you do, and then someone goes, "Oh, well, this thing I like, it was initially created with the with the interest in mind of being like it's for the listeners, so I want to keep it that way." Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not that invested, but yeah, when I think about like trying to retire or something, like. Damn, we did kind of create something with value and it that has been scraped away or something. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the that's one of that's one of my things I hate about myself, the, the saying I mean. Oh, really? I I started a sentence with that. I started the sentence I mean. Why would I say that? <laughs> I keep doing it though. Some little uh, little ticks, or, yeah. but I don't have it in day-to-day life. I don't think, but I listen to myself on podcasts and and I just sit at home going, "Really? What do you mean?" <laughs> What do you mean, sir? <laughs> Say it again. I dare you. I dare you. So it's strange to think that, and it's not that strange. I'm going to say that a lot too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. It's not strange. Well, I wonder what's it's happening normal. there that your brain is, tra- and not to get off topic, because I want to make sure you remember the thought you're, you mean and that is strange. Mm-hmm. But as we're navigating through these sort of caverns in our minds to get to that concept that we're thinking of, or whatever light just went off where you're going over there to check that switch... Maybe that's the initial like inclination or just very uh, first thought, which is that's strange. And then before you can rein it back, your mind goes, "Say that," and then you just yeah. say it. You're like, wait, wait, it's not that strange. It was strange that like that's how I got it or accessed yeah. it. Maybe that's what's happening. And and the worry that well, I'm going to say something and be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So before I'm misunderstood, let me tell you what I mean. I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. uh, total worry, total worry. Mm-hmm. I think about how so much of this commerce stuff, we it's very easy to look toward pornography because mm-hmm. they've dominated kind of taste, not taste, but the way that money moves for a long time, you know, from VHS to, well, we're going to give it away for free on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when we grab our fans, then they will follow us to our websites and then we will collect money as individuals. Yeah. And then the rest of us started doing that. Oh, we, I have a Patreon as well. Uh, <laughs> please fund my thing. Um, I have an Amazon wish list, just like the porn star does. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of that porn star and you want to buy that person things, well, you should be a fan of me and buy me things. Here it is. <laughs> Follow I mean, this link. I went to AdultCon one year, and I'm sure anyone hearing that, like, what? I uh, I worked for Fuel TV here and there as a, I would hold a boom mic when I first moved to town and through my friend, our friend, Chris Fairbanks. Yeah, and uh, You gotta have some great shoulders to do that. Not really. You really? I mean, kind of. But, you know, you're doing, <laughs> you're holding up there for 
maybe a minute at a time and then there's a break and they're like all right let's go again and so but yeah you gotta be pretty tough so yeah I'm over you there ever like, come home that first day and go what did i do <laughs> i think it never bugged me that much because okay. i would always just figure out ways to like lean it around my shoulders i would never be there like with my arms shaking going oh finish this take and I then they just... can hear it just <laughs> yeah. yeah i never did that but one day they called and they were like, because we would go up and just shoot stuff locally around LA all the time, or we'd go to Big Bear, I think was the farthest we went to, furthest we went. So we went to Adult Con, and I remember the first thing that stood out to me was like, most of the girls, most of the girls are standing behind an individual booth, and it looks just like comedians after a show trying to sell their CDs. They're exactly. just standing there, just kind of like pleasant look on their face, hoping that, and it, because it's in the convention center, it is still, I guess, public property, so they have pasties on. They can't be nude, but they can show pornography. So behind them is just the filthy stuff happening. Good rule. It's so bizarre. So they're just standing there looking at you, and then right over their shoulder is them doing all kinds of stuff, and mm-hmm. you have to like maintain eye contact and just, uh, how many DVDs are you selling? Yeah. And it was, I think now, with Patreon, like you mentioned, would be a way better a model for them. Because one of the girls there... We, I remember we were talking to her and she was like, oh, I built all the websites for like five of these girls and I know code and I study computer science and I yeah. do porn just, it became I, my I've thing. I've met so many people like that. They're like, well, I know how to code and I know software and I know all these things and these people have money. Yeah. So they're going to pay me money and I'm going to build and, and the ones and zeros look the same. Mm-hmm. All the HTML looks the same. Yeah. Doesn't matter what video I'm putting up. No. I go, does the video work? It does. Great. Yeah. And if you had before maybe a, a webcam or all these things that were, I think to us, so foreign that they were those revenue streams that you could control. And now a Patreon is a perfect way to like get access to my live stream or web stream. You can really if you're an adult star, mm-hmm. have way more control before than it seemed like you had to kind of, well, I hope one of the main producer production companies helps me and chooses me. Mm-hmm. I think those are those. And we talked about this the last time I think you and I hung out, like that some of those pillars are, are going away where it's up to everyone now to just kind of build their own whatever. Well, and we're, we're doing what all those porn stars did, not recognizing that the end game mm-hmm. is that all of those porn stars are famous, if they get famous, for a very small amount of time. Yeah. They try to collect their money now, and then they have to get out of the business. Right. And there's not really a lot of people, there aren't a lot of people reinventing themselves for the long porn career. Mm-hmm. There are a few. There are a few <laughs> who've said, yeah, I'm going to stay in this and find a new path. Mm-hmm. But we followed a model that doesn't have a great future. Mm-hmm. It's a very limiting future. And right now you've got a billion comedians, all with our own websites, all with our own Patreon pages, all with our own things. Yeah. And... Some people are collecting little bits of money. Some people are collecting a lot of money, but it's just so spread out that it's bound to be like, well, that was the porn star I liked in 2005, but now this is the porn star I like in 2018, and I've completely forgotten about the old porn star. And that's going to happen with comedians, I worry, that they're going to say, well, I, I gathered everything from that person. I really liked it for then. But don't you think some people, and maybe... Maybe I do not like this comparison of comedians to porn stars either. <laughs> I'm like, no, we're we're kind of artists. We create things from the brain. What were you going to say though? I I think that that 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if you pick up a guitar or any instrument, you pick up a keyboard and you start writing some notes and you sing and, and you say like, oh, there, that was what inspired me was mm-hmm. was the the artistry of it. I write poetry, I write books, I write, I do jokes. You had to go, whereas in porn, it, it seems way less than, than that. It doesn't, yeah. it seems like, I like. I picked up a dick and I, I try, fiddled with it some. <laughs> and I can make money at it? Great. Yeah. I don't think that's ever the impetus for the other ones. Oh, I can make money at this? I think it's like, I love doing it and there's this slim chance I could maybe make money at it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think they get lumped in identically. But I do think as far as the entrepreneurial element involved, then I then I do think like there's a similarity there in that one, when porn started going up on the internet at you know, in high volume, people thought, they got to have enough by now. <laughs> Couldn't you just go with what's <laughs> available currently if there was never another <laughs> second made right. and have plenty to it's sort yourself endless. through? It's endless. It's endless. And yet it keeps coming out. There's and if new you, stuff. There's yeah. new stuff. Oh, what's new today? Mm. And if say someone, and I don't, I'm not well versed in... Like, I know Jenna Jameson, that's for sure. Like, someone, I think everyone would know that name, probably. Yeah, because E! Entertainment highlighted her back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, I mean, we're we're very out of touch. (laughs) But say she, like you were talking about, had tried to transition and said... I'm I'm not doing anymore. I'm a little older. I have a family now, but I want to direct. I want to be behind the camera. Would the nature of just sex on camera and there's only so many physical things you can do have changed so much that when she came over to a young actor, would she be like, listen, in my day we did this. Could that person go, it's so different now? Uh Or would it be like, no, it's still a thing going into a thing. You guys are still rubbing parts together. (laughs) Okay, lady. Easy. And and from the consumer perspective, who's going to say... Oh, this one was directed by Jenna Jameson. Yeah. She's behind the camera now. Let's see what she was able to do with this. She she does that, you know, that angle under the butt cheeks that I mm-hmm. just love. No one mm-hmm. else is doing that. Her lighting, phenomenal. I watch <laughs> anything she directs. No uh, one would do that. It's all green screen, and then they're they're like in a waterfall, and then they're above <laughs> Prague. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, they should do way more green screen porn. Maybe they do. I guess I don't watch a whole bunch of it, but... Uh... Is there green screen porn where they could be like flying in the middle of the air and things like that? I, I, I don't think anybody would notice. Yeah. I don't know if <laughs> they probably have it. It's probably like that study with the uh, people are told to, how did the study go? Like watch a ball moving around or something like that. And then in the background, there's somebody in a gorilla costume that walks by and they don't notice oh. because they're so focused on the little task at hand. Yeah. And that was kind of referenced in the the recent uh, Childish Gambino video, This Is America, where you're watching all the singing and dancing. Meanwhile, in the background, there's all these things happening that you don't notice. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering how much porn... There's a gorilla in the background and nobody's ever known. <laughs> there are all the secrets to life in the background. Uh-huh. Look at this. This is all this calculus problem right here. Some Just, real artistic director was like, I got to do something with this. <laughs> got to do something with this. And yeah. if people never see my art, well, it's their own fault. I put it in there. When there's something like the childish Gambino thing where someone will write a something about it. It's like, this is so apropos of what it is in American culture right now that we, everyone wants the attention on them. And we look at the people that want the attention, i.e. Donald as he's walking toward the camera. And we don't notice like what's in the background is brutality and all these terrible things. But as a comedian, you're like, that's why life as we know it isn't entirely enjoyable is because you're, you're constantly aware of that. That's the nature of thinking about it is to be very aware of 
how can you feel good about a pursuit or a success knowing like, boy, there are people with like flies on their face somewhere. Right. How am I supposed to, I worked so hard on these jokes Mm -hmm. and uh, I got on stage and it's the big show. It's Saturday night. I'm recording for an album and the guy in the front row isn't laughing and clapping at anything and then he's talking over my punchlines. Yeah. And he's ruining my recording that I'm paying money for. Yeah. Like the, just that dichotomy of like I did I did years of work to write these jokes, to practice them, to find out what works with an audience consistently and now I'm going to lay it down for everyone. Yeah. And then I'm going to retire these jokes. Oh, nope. I've wasted a lot of money and I'm not retiring these jokes and I have to <laughs> book a whole again. different week and uh, go out and you know, the horror of creating. Yeah, I feel like comics are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Robert Schimmel was great at it. Robert Schimmel was very good at, uh, you know, he had that joke about those uh, Time Life books. Time Life, Volume 3, Fixing the Garbage Disposal. Yeah, and then I'm going to need Volume 4, Learning to Eat with a Hook. <laughs> like, just waiting for, well, things are going to go wrong for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not a celebratory group. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'd think like bringing joy and making people laugh would make us the most celebratory. Yeah. Yeah. But then how do you, cause it, I don't know, not to get too much into comedy, but, but like to your point, it's like watching Donald Glover dance and the other, you know, people dance around him and the comics are very quick to go. Yeah. But look at the background. People are getting killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a guy in the foreground. And everybody's like, you know, for a comedian, you're a real downer. <laughs> He created it. It's not my fault that I pointed out the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I hope you're wrong about uh, that. It's temporary. That it that it like because I know it is. Obviously, it is. You know, Shakespeare has lived on there. I think we think about it that like he was the only person putting on plays. Then mm. there had to have been people that he was even friends with and like supportive of hey what about you jacob what'd you do mm. well I, I got this one and it's, it's pretty good it's about this guy and he you know he's losing his hair and i know in our day and age you can just wear wigs and stuff but and then he went good for you jacob good and then that play was well reviewed and people came people and saw liked it. it and then it disappeared it just went away over time yeah. yeah and maybe he did three or four of them he certainly didn't do 50 and he didn't have the the constant reimagining and just being in the forefront of all that we think of theater, we think of Shakespeare. That is that going to happen with people that are currently alive? They'll be like, oh, pop music. Will it be Michael Jackson or will it be Beyonce? Or will it be someone that's not even born yet? This Something period- that just uh, doesn't survive the, the time. Right. Yeah, you think about the, the pop music of the 1950s. Like, who was hot? Yeah. Who was killing it? <laughs> people made, people afforded themselves mansions on doo-wop. And now no one likes doo-wop. People, they don't make it anymore. They don't celebrate it. There's not any reimagining of it. It just went away. And so it was almost like that whole art form was for nothing. It was yeah. just kind of like, hey, good for you. You made a bunch of money. But you, And people will hear it now and go, ah, okay. I uh, like that song. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that that whole concept of was it worth it? Meanwhile, you probably influenced somebody. Mm-hmm. During that time period, who came up with something new? Yeah, who said oh, I would have never done this without that? Mm-hmm. So it, it did. It did fit into the cycle of evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about some species out there that they would never be had their great great ancestor not broken off and survived. Right. But we don't know who they were. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they looked like. They're a missing link. Yeah. And you just go, well, you were important somehow. Mm-hmm. We're not real clear how. 
Yeah, we I did an uh, interview with a guy on the old podcast, Professor Blastoff, that uh, beforehand, when we were talking about evolution, I said, hey, I just read this thing about Clovis Man. He goes, I don't want to talk about Clovis Man. But <laughs> 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 like, I'm so intrigued. And it was kind of what you were just describing. It was in the... It's a short, the shortest version of the story of things like this is the Clovis, Sabertooth. New Mexico. This is Clovis, oddly, New Mexico and like Arizona and that part of the world is kind of where Clovis man, 10,000 BC ish at a time when like they're still kind of trying to piece together, you know, okay, so Homo sapiens are around, but are they using tools and are they using what, what exactly are they dressed like? Are they, they're not Neanderthals at this point. And Clovis people, they first thought had sort of um, like overhunted the things that were around woolly. Um, now, I don't want to say mammoths, but whatever the things were that were around. Great big, great, big, big huge animals huge that animals. humans wiped out. Yeah. The Homo sapiens. Yeah. We just went, we're here now and we can cooperate. So we'll kill you and use yeah, you. With sticks and stuff. And I always, that always seemed weird to me. Like, could they really, with sticks, you know, trailing them, hunting the entire herd, wipe out an entire. And this documentary I saw um, found this layer of strata in arizona and it was right around the same time ten thousand, and it had this thing i believe called ironite in it oh i just started our dogs are out there playing and making some dogs noise. dogs are trying to get in <laughs> and i let them keep making noise because penelope who listens to the show sent an email and said she likes hearing dogs rustle around in the background so that's what that was <laughs> it was hard to train them to do that penelope yeah. so you're welcome <laughs> let's have some gratitude well done fellas right on cue Right on cue. Uh, anyway, the I believe it was called ironite, which was not natural to Earth and had to have arrived via sort of a meteor. And they thought, well, that's really weird. It's in this layer of strata. They went then to um, the northern like Yukon Territory and sampled some ice in the Arctic and thought that that ice had been part of a shelf that had receded back that used to come down near like the border of the United States and Canada, way down there. And in that 10,000 range, they found that same thing. So the theory was that uh, a meteor had, there was no crater because it hit the ice shelf, but that ice washed all down through the United States, like in a big wave okay. and wiped everything out that was, that was there. So the remains and things skeletal otherwise are there. So they, when they come up or come across Clovis man, uh, they're, they're, this is what I want to talk to the dude about, because I feel like those little things that you're saying, like, yes, that was integral into humanity as we know it in some weird way, some tiny sliver off that was around probably a few hundred years, a few thousand years, mm-hmm. much longer than stand-up comedy has been around yeah, or even music as we know it in the, in the traditional sense of like amplifiers and things. Uh, that's not the traditional sense, but you get what I'm saying. Making noises for people. Yeah. Melodically. Noise. Yeah. To yeah. worship the devil. Yeah, yeah. Go on. What were you saying? So, <laughs> <laughs> You want to stop? Wait, is that how you think of music? It's all devil worship? It's yes. All de- it's all devil worship. You were, I wasn't. <laughs> Stout's just inserting these things. And, <laughs> I just uh, move right past them. Yeah, right, of course. Listen to the to Worship the Devil. Anyway, as you know. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, when you're a part of it, when you're, if you're a little Clovis kid, you're like, I hope people really always celebrate the Clovis. You mm-hmm. don't think that way. But no. when you're an artist, I mean, I think if you're just painting, you're like, I'm glad I get to paint right now. That should be the whole thought of it. But it should be. Commerce and yeah. all these things we've talked about make it a little bit more like, I hope that people like what I paint. Mm-hmm. I hope that my painting is around for a little while longer. Yeah. Or knowing there are things like Shakespeare, like, am I going to be the one that maybe down the road people remember? Like, 
No, absolutely not. Probably not. not. There are yeah. people selling out Carnegie Hall right now. That Who won't be remembered yeah. at all. And they say that most people, your name will be forgotten 50 years after your debt. Absolutely. 50. Yeah. And the number of you know, 14-year-olds right now who don't know who Lenny Bruce was. Mm -hmm. Pretty good testament to that. Yeah. Because he was dead in, what, 60, late 60s? And that was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now there's a bunch of kids who are like, yeah, no idea. No idea who (laughs) that comedian was or why he'd be important. And maybe they'll figure it out if they study law Mm -hmm. or if we figure out this whole complaining about comedians thing um that's happening in society now and we can trace it back for people and go hey remember this guy yeah um remember this guy who uh wasn't fighting for freedom of speech he was just saying hey um if you're gonna judge my work could you at least hear me do the work don't listen to some police officer testifying about it on the stand and the dumb americans who sat on the jury that went no we believe the police officer you're guilty (laughs) um (laughs) uh but yeah, everything's everything's so temporary, and it's it's a burden to how I think about stand up, which is I think of it from the end, looking back, where I go, all right, at, at the end of a comedian's life, they're essentially turning in a list, mm-hmm. and that list is here are the things that I thought of that made people laugh during the time that I was doing comedy, yeah, and it's on record. Mm-hmm. I have actual records out, I have specials out, so. In the long history of humor, you can point to this somewhere along the line for evidence of something, even though I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And what we don't turn in as comics at the end of the life is, here's the jokes that didn't work. We don't turn those in. Nobody nobody cares about those. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to care about those. Nobody's going to point to them and go, yeah, those really should have worked. The audience was wrong. (laughs) Nobody, Nobody does that. I think even beyond that, that like, so to go to Lenny Bruce and like say, well, okay, so what were your like favorite bits? A lot of when I hear him doing stand up, he's like trying to be too cool. Talk about how many jazz musicians he knows and things like that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't love this. But I do think like what he stood for of, of cops in the back of the room, just waiting for him to say the wrong word. I'm like, that's it. And just hauling him out of there. And the crowd being like, hey, hey yeah. come on. Or yeah. the crowd being initially on the, boy, this language is a little much. Mm-hmm. I came out here, you know, like him being that representative in a lot of ways for like it is there the freedom of performance and does freedom of speech follow you into these clubs to do that george carlin 13 hbo specials i think he had the writing of each one leather bound so there are 13 leather bound volumes of like here's my work Uh and and i want a small part of me feels like janine garofalo owns them like bought the rights to them after he passed away i'm not positive i want to ask her that if i ever run into her uh, but it, they could just be in a storage unit somewhere. But in his mind, I think there was like, hopefully it was from the position of, if this has value to anyone, here they are. Yes. But you'd also know there's probably a little bit more of a megalomania side of like, this is my Shakespearean work. Every word of it is meticulously logged in here. And this yeah. is exactly what I said on stage. Well, and and also having that fear that I hope that my work that I worked on isn't conveyed via some, through somebody else's filter. Right, right. He right. doesn't, I mean, having watched the whole Lenny Bruce thing, Carlin doesn't want his jokes being told by some police officer, James Ryan, to people <laughs> saying, yeah, that guy wasn't funny at all. Yeah. He wants to say, no, no, here's the work. Mm-hmm. It's on record. You judge for yourself and you don't have to like it, but at least you could judge for yourself based on what I created. Yeah. And I think there's some finality to it for us as well to be able to, you know, when I put out a record, I go, mm, I think those are done. 
Yeah. I think those are done. Mm -hmm. And you might say, well, Ryan, you had a joke on your second album that was on your first album. Mm -hmm. And what about that? I thought it was done. And I go, yeah, but I had a thought (laughs) and I added something to that joke. So it's not the same joke. It's that joke with a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And on the third record that'll be out hopefully later this year, you're going to go, but there was that joke, that one joke that was on a previous record. And I go, yeah, but I, I added stuff to it. But I think- Turns out it wasn't done. But are there these people? I mean, I think we like to think that there are those people. So like going back to George Carlin, there were. Because you, you go city to city and you play in front of several thousand people. And you go, certainly there are a handful of them, if not maybe hundreds. But it's a small percentage of that overall group that comes to see you that is even paying that close. Mm-hmm. You go back places, you've been there a year later and they go, you had some new stuff. And you're like... That was all new. Yeah. What do you mean I had some new stuff? It was 100% different from the last, but they don't. Or you go, no, I didn't. I didn't have any new stuff. I don't know why you think that was new. But he has all this work that he's done. Very, you know, convinced that it matters. And then in the end, it gets reduced to like, you talking about those seven words on a TV guy? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you That was popular. That's well, it. and even we started talking about Lenny Bruce. We're, we haven't quoted a Lenny Bruce bit the whole time. We've more thought about what he stood for. Yeah. And so you think, well, was his work important? Because if we can't remember it, if we can't really go through him banging on the drum set, singing two as a preposition, come as a verb, you go, really? Was that, oh, was that his art? Okay. All right. Some of the worst things too that happen is you don't get to control who takes command of what you stood for or said. Like, so Lenny, Lenny Bruce saying, I say the N word so that it becomes so common that when a little black girl hears it, she doesn't cry. The sentiment uh-huh. behind that very sweet. Yeah. But now when the alt-right gets a hold of it and like, I'm saying it. To make little black girls cry. <laughs> I just, or just to because I cry. can. It's freedom of speech. Yeah. Or Carlin saying, um, uh, f- uh, f- what is it? Um, political correctness is fascism disguised as politeness. Mm-hmm. So the alt-right loves that. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, you're trying to censor what I say. I can say all these words. George Carlin thought that you censoring me was was fascism. Like, Ugh. yeah, but you're saying them just to be rude, right? There's no thought. <laughs> There's no it. politeness coming from you either. <laughs> and uh, why why do they have to be polite? Yeah, you're you're saying they have to be polite, but you don't. Uh, Maybe I mean, is comedy a clown, or is it more like? It is the thing that gives the the masses. Okay, so that guy said it. That guy recognized the point. We all laughed at it. That mm-hmm. guy or girl recognized this thing. We all laughed at it, and therefore, it has some merit. That sentiment, whether they were the one that that chopped that nugget out of the hill and carried it down to us and said, "Here, here's this thing I noticed." We all laugh at it, and the person gets to take that away. Is that is that really what comedy does, or is there more to, or is it a clown? Just like, nah, it takes your mind off stuff. It just you just laugh. Oh, is it is it uh, escapist entertainment, right. or is it do do we actually have some power to to stand on stage and speak the truth and change things? I, th- I mean, yeah, and, yeah, and but- by the way, I think when I've when I've explored that, it's always come down to the question of well, it's the artist's choice. Mm-hmm. Whoever's creating the stuff, I mean, there are people out there who absolutely believe that not only are they supposed to get on stage and be silly, but they believe 100% that that's what the audience wants. Yeah. And they do not believe all this hype that audiences want the comedian to give them the deep truths of life. Yeah. And I go, well, it's rather convenient for you that you don't want to believe that it exists mm-hmm. while you do the opposite. Yeah. And you believe the opposite is true. <laughs> uh, that's, that's convenient for you. But 
yeah, most people, I don't know what they want, and I don't think they know what they want, and I don't think they know what the person next to them wants. Mm-hmm. So you end up in those situations where you make a room full of people laugh, and then somebody wants to tell you why you're the worst thing ever afterward. <laughs> and you go, okay, great. Yeah. You know, I, I got some nice hate mail recently from a woman who didn't like... Yeah, She went on and on in her email about how much she liked my show and how much of it was so thoughtful and great, but this one bit ruined everything I did and it showed my lack of humanity and uh, oh it, I was, I was uh, callous and rude and this one bit was just terrible. And I'm sitting there reading this going, wow, she saw the one bit one time and she's convinced that her interpretation is completely correct. Yeah. It's not like, like when I, I was in college... I remember the whole class, we would read a poem and we wouldn't feel great about it. Mm-hmm. And the professor would be like, well, let's read it again and let's focus on some of these words. Well, yeah. now let's read it again and let's focus on these. Now let's read it again and focus on what the artist did here. And then by the end of it, everybody in the classroom was like, all right, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> you were angry at first. As a group, you were angry. Yeah. And then as a group, you were like, ah, good piece. Good piece. I but you'd, ha- you'd have to do it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Most people see comedy, they hear the joke once, and they go, all right, I'll judge now. Yeah. I'm ready to cast my verdict. And sometimes, <clears throat> I mean, with music, that comes up all the time. Where people all are the like, time. Friends would give me albums long ago when you used to still trade CDs and go, listen to it twice before you get back to me about it, what you think about it. And I go, Egh. And of course, the first time through, I'd be like, I don't want to listen to this crap again. But I would for my friend, and then something would catch me, whether it was one little riff in one song, or it was one song, okay, this song, okay, this song's okay. And then as time goes by, like, I love this whole album. Good I album. I wouldn't change a note. I'm glad they, like, <clears throat> challenged me a little bit. Yeah. You know, they, they, they did things that were a little bit out of the norm, or like, you know, these earworms and things that burrow into us. Like, wait, those notes didn't resolve in a way that my brain is used to hearing. And, and it they, irritated me. Yeah. But and it's I, new. It's and, good. And then to be on her side a little bit and that because I, a while ago, kind of, I was doing this bit that was about which, and someone came up to me in a show after show in Oregon and was like, Hey man, when you just mentioned the term gender, I was like rolling my eyes like, Oh boy, why does every comedian now feel like they have to talk about this? And he's like, but I really liked what you did. And I was like, right. thank you. Cause it was about the idea of the, the future that gender won't really be around. Mm-hmm. And that if you're real attached to it currently, whether you are trans or a tradition like cis uh sexual person you are still cisgender or transgender you are, if you're real attached to your gender that may be in the future a little bit antiquated i think people that are a little bit more like oh well i'm, I'm just a human mm-hmm. and so the joke kind of takes off from there when i was initially wording it you know it's not all quite there to be eloquent enough to describe the sentiment that i'm trying and I could feel people in the crowd or, and no one really specifically came up to me afterward and was like, dude, that was really, but I'd listen to recordings like, that's not what I'm trying to say. Right. You know, I, this is still in the works and unfortunately you have to go out and practice it. And so I, I think people, you know, it's tough to go up on stage and submit your thoughts Mm because the crowd is going by virtue of you being here, you should have them exactly how you want them to be. And you're like, Unfortunately, it doesn't quite go that way. Sure. I have to play back and forth a little bit and figure that out. So mm-hmm. maybe that lady, even though at the, at the moment you're angry at her, do you think, well, okay, I can, in the future, I'd concede this or add just a little touch of language to like... Oh, I absolutely see what you're saying. Um, there's there's a, a flip side of that coin, though, which is while the audience is has that idea that by virtue of the fact that you're here and you're talking, it should be perfect. Mm -hmm. They also don't want to recognize, they don't know where they are in the process. 
So yeah. this woman who's complaining about the bit doesn't realize, oh, I've already perfected the bit. I, per- <laughs> I, I did it in Seattle and San Francisco and Dallas. I did it in St. Louis and Cincinnati. And now here we are in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and I'm going to do this bit that I've already worked out. And the vast majority of audiences have approved of the vast majority of time by virtue of the fact that I'm doing the bit is because I perfected it. Yeah. And she's going, no, because I don't like it. Right. So by virtue of the fact that you're up there, it should be perfect. And I'm saying it's not. So therefore you're wrong. And I'm going, no, it's perfect. Yeah. And yet you only saw it once. Mm -hmm. And you think you've pointed out the imperfections. Whereas I'm saying, I think you have misidentified some things. Yeah. And maybe, maybe if you saw it twice, you'd go, ah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> now nah, I'll let this go. But yeah. that is a problem. Like a, a friend of my dad's uh, saw George Carlin, strangely enough, in concert and went, yeah, I really didn't care for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, he was too old and he was too angry and just, it just seemed bad. And I said, oh, what year was it? And he goes, ah, I don't remember. <laughs> I said, okay, well, had he just released an HBO special? He went, I don't know. I said, so you don't know if he was starting off with a brand new fresh act. Yeah. And touring around working on it. And he worked on him for about two years and then he would do a new special. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you were at the beginning of the two years or at the end of the two years, but you're upset with how it went. So now George Carlin is bad forever for you. Yeah. And he went, eh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I guess that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, the audiences don't know where they are in the process and they've gone to see a live show for whatever reason and they've put expectations on it and what it should be in their own brain. And that's the that's the worst part because you and I have come up with bits in mm-hmm. our own brain, in our imagination. You go, all right, I've got this. And then getting it out of your brain and into the world, God. nah, a lot of problems. <laughs> a lot of problems making that happen. Yeah. Oh, man, did you ever see... Well, maybe we should take a little, little quick break and I'll get into... I want to talk a little bit about Mitch, Mitch Hedberg as well because I feel like he straddles a lot of these things. I don't want to get into Hedberg. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to get into Clovis, man. An abrupt sort of ending there. The the conversation just flows right on. So come back next week for part two with Ryan. And pretty crazy that that uh, parking ticket thing, or no, traffic ticket thing came up and I had just sort of gone through that. Maybe in the Patreon or something, I'll discuss that whole endeavor. It seems pretty tedious and boring, but if if there's any interest, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll, let, I'll tell you the whole story, how it all came to be. I was telling friends of mine and things, and they were like, this is so bizarre. What, who does this? But I thought it was kind of fun to, to, to fight back a little bit just to see you know, what can come out of it. In the end, still uh, didn't prevail, but it's, it's still not completely concluded, so who knows. Anyway, come back uh, for, for part two. We talk more about that, but more um, all kinds of different stuff. It's just a really enjoyable conversationalist, that Ryan Stout. And thanks to those of you who support the show and have listened to it before. If this is your first one you've listened to, hey, maybe come back and check out another one. Sometimes it's uh, with physicists and sometimes it's with artists and musicians or who you never know. But uh, thanks for checking out the show. And, and like I said, those of you who support the show, whether that's through Patreon or just emailing or tweeting suggestions for beer or guests or music, I appreciate it. And speaking of music, the the last episode came out and the the sort of intro things were recorded uh, a little bit in advance because I was getting ready for the junk show. And in uh, that little interval between when I recorded them 
And when they came out, uh, some sad news in the music world happened. I didn't really get to address it last week. But um, Scott Hutchison of Frightened Rabbit passed away um, by his own doing, which is always such a bummer when people that make pretty things choose to no longer be a part of this thing. You feel like the art and things that they make are in a lot of ways, or at least a lot of the art that I seem to gravitate toward, is made as a way for them to process what it all is, all these emotions we feel, things that we have to undertake and undergo, and the art is sort of this residue and or exhaust that uh, churns out of it. And so when they make something really pretty, it's always, it's always, um, it's kind of bittersweet sometimes within the lyrics or whatnot that you can, you can hear that, boy, that took a lot of a lot of churning and a lot of turmoil for that thing to come out of it. I'm glad it was made, but maybe sometimes the the churning or the struggle just isn't worth it to that person. And so anyway, I'm maybe putting thoughts or ideas into a person that I never met, but I liked what they made and what he made. I liked the way he sang. I like when people sing uh, in, a, in a thick accent. A lot of times it all sounds homogenized and just sounds very very American and hey girl what you gonna do and then you hear them in an interview and they're like hey girl how are ya and you're like why didn't you sing like that not these guys not old Scott I'm probably being a little glib I suppose I'm partly mad at him to tweet at the end I'm away now thanks bothers me feels a little grandiose and I think you're allowed to be mad at people when they choose to to leave a party I guess I don't know I'm sad to know that more of those pretty things won't be made by that person and uh, i don't know if you're familiar with frightened rabbit i assume you are by listening to this show because we play a lot of kind of similar type of uh mellow indie rock music but my friend chell listened to them long ago and kind of got me interested right when their first album came out that was named i think one of the best albums or top 10 of like the last decade which i can't really disagree with the the most popular song i think was the modern leper anyway this is a song that i just think is real pretty off that album Thought I'd play it. Thanks to Scott for making stuff. Sorry to see you go. Thanks to you guys for supporting the show, like I said, and listening. And hope you have a pleasant week and things pick up and get a little more pleasant. Here's Poke by Frightened Rabbit. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Poke at my iris. Why can't I cry about this? Maybe there is something that you know that I don't. We adopt a brand new language Communicate through pursed lips And you try not to put on any sexy clothes or graces I might never catch a mouse And present it in my mouth To make you feel you're with someone who deserves to be with you But there's one thing we've got going And it's the only thing worth knowing it's got lots to do with magnets and the pool of the moon Why won't our love keel over as it chokes on a bone? We can mourn its passing and then bury it in snow Or should we kick its content and watch as it dies from bleeding? If you don't want to be with me, just say and I will go
change our partners This is a progressive dance But remember it was me who dragged you up to the sweated floor Well this has been a real I've got shin splints and a stitch from weed But like a drunken night It's the best bits that are coloured in should look through some old photos I adored you in every one of those If someone took a picture of us now They'd need to be told That we had ever clung and tied A navy not with arms at night I'd say she was his sister But she doesn't have his nose And now we're unrelated I'm rid of all the shit we hate But I hate when I feel like this And I never hated you 